So a bunch of years ago, I don't know where I read it, but the study has always stuck with me because it was so unique. Two scientists, Gary Hamill and C.K. Pralahad, did an experiment. They took a room, and inside that room it was bare, except for in the middle there was a tall pole, and on the top of that pole was some bananas. And then they put four monkeys in that room. And the four monkeys got in the room and they do whatever monkeys do. I don't know, you know, ooh, ah, 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 they do that. And then one of them notices the bananas. So that monkey climbs the pole to try to get the bananas. Right when he's about to grab the bananas, these jets of freezing cold water spray him and knock him back down the pole. So he tries it two or three times gives up, goes to his corner. The next monkey tries the same thing two or three times, same results, can't get the bananas, he retreats to his corner. Happens to all four monkeys, they give up. Then here's what they did. They took one of those monkeys, soaking wet, pulled him out of the room, replaced him with a new monkey that had no idea about the bananas or the cold water or anything. So the new monkey gets in there, does whatever monkeys do, notices the bananas, goes over to try to climb the pole. The three original monkeys who had been squirted by cold water went over and started screaming at the monkey. It would not allow that monkey to climb the pole. Well, this was repeated three or four times. Each time the three original monkeys grabbing that new monkey, no, 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 screaming at him. And so finally that new monkey decided, okay, can't do it, retired to his corner. And then they replaced the second monkey Wet monkey, pull them out, put in a new monkey. No idea about it. That same process is repeated again. But this time, the first replacement monkey was also joining the other monkeys and not preventing this guy from going up and getting the bananas. And they did it to all four monkeys. So eventually you had a room with four monkeys that would not climb up a pole to get a banana and they had no idea why they shouldn't do it. Isn't that church? Aren't there these things that like over 2,000 years, like, ah, don't do that. And you're like, why not? I don't know. Just don't do it. <laughs> Isn't there a lot of stuff like that? That really, if you looked at the Bible, you'd say, well, where is that in the Bible? Why do we sing songs before I get up here? Where is that in the Bible? Is there a chapter that says, here's how you do a church service? No. Where else in the world do we do something like that? Before someone talks, you sing some songs. You go to a big conference, right? It's a conference on whatever. And before the conference, the guy says, hey, you know, before I get to talking today, we're gonna sing a song. It's Stairway to Heaven. Notes will be up here. Words will be up here. Join in when you can. You'd be like, what? This is the cult I'm getting out of here. And yet you go to any church throughout really the world, and this is what we do. And yet, really, you look in the Bible like, it's actually not in there. How about greeting 11 people? Could you imagine, you go to a football game, halftime, the announcer's like, hey, before the marching band comes out, why don't you guys get up and greet 11 people you didn't come with? You'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm not touching anyone else, right? And yet it's like normal. How about baptism classes? You ever been in a church that had baptism classes? I have. Where's that in the Bible? It's not. And yet a lot of churches have baptism classes. How about calling me a pastor? 
Is that the right term for me, for what I do? Not really. In the Bible, it's elder. Like that would be the proper term. And yet nobody, nobody does that. In fact, I would not want to be called Elder Matt. That just sounds weird to me. Like even I'm like, oh, I don't think I like that. How about ending a prayer with amen? Where's that in the Bible? Like you read the Old Testament prayers and there's a ton of them in the Old Testament. None of them end with amen. You read the epistles and lots of them have prayers in them. None of them end with amen. But try praying and don't say amen. There is an awkward like, someone say amen. We gotta stop this thing. Say amen, right? Now I'm not saying any, things, any of those things are wrong, but really we're monkeys in a room and we don't know why we're doing it. Some of them are okay and fine. But there are some things that have to be tore down and they have to be changed and they have to be conformed to God's word. So we're in a section of scripture right now where Jesus is gonna do exactly that. There were some monkeys in a room and they were doing things that actually were wrong and bad. And it wasn't because the Bible instructed them to, it had just grown up and there were a bunch of people screaming and yelling and say, you have to do it this way. And so they did. And Jesus deconstructs it. So it's a fantastic section of scripture. Let's read it and then we'll talk. Mark 7. You'll know when I need glasses when my Bible is on the floor and I'm reading it on the floor. It's like, for, there it is. <laughs> oh, goodness. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his mother or father, father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Fantastic section here. So we'll try to talk about it culturally and then bring it back to us personally. So if you've been with us in Mark, we're in chapter six or up through chapter six, you've noticed something about Mark, that there is this group, they keep appearing like they do right here, 
and they have an agenda against Jesus. They're looking to crush him. They're looking to find fault in him. And you guys are old enough to know this. If you're looking to find fault, guess what you find? Faults. So they are doing this over and over. And this is the newest beef they have with Jesus. They come to Jesus and they say, why are your disciples eating with unwashed hands? Okay, now is this about cleanliness? No, it's not. Like clean hands, they're awesome. Some of the traditions that the Jews had and some of the laws in the Old Testament actually prevented the Jews from getting a lot of diseases, if you know history. So in Europe, during the Black Plague and Bubonic Plague and all that, the Jews didn't, ha didn't happen to them because of these traditions, because of a lot of the rules in the Old Testament. It protected them. So it's a good thing, right? I like clean hands. My favorite song with five kids and at times horses and pigs and goats and chickens and cats and dogs and ducks. My favorite song is Give Us Clean Hands. I like that because I don't want to eat chicken poop. I like clean hands. This is not about clean hands. Here's what had happened. And Jesus mentions it over and over again. Tradition, 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 tradition. Tradition of the elders. What had happened is this. Over the course of a long history, there was these oral traditions added to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And this oral tradition became codified and it was named the Mishnah. You could actually find a copy of the Mishnah today. And the Mishnah contained all these extra commandments of men, such as the washing of hands. Well, over the course of centuries, the Mishnah, which is not the Bible, which is not inspired, the Mishnah has now become equal to the Bible, just as important in their life. So that's why they're upset. So the 12 had eaten a meal, and before they ate the meal, they didn't do the ceremonial cleansing, and because they did not do that according to the Mishnah, not according to the Bible, according to the Mishnah, these guys are upset. So think about this for a second. They come to Jesus. This is all they say to Jesus. All they say to Jesus is, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? How does Jesus respond? You forked-tongued, mom-and-dad-dishonoring, commandment-breaking, vain-worshiping hypocrites. Does that feel like an overreaction to you? All right, you're like, whoa, okay, <laughs> okay. What's going on? The disciples in Matthew's account of this, they actually take Jesus aside. They're like, Jesus, bro, time out, man. And they go, Jesus, did you know you offended them by calling them forked? Tongue, vain, worshiping, mom and dad, dishonoring, commandment-breaking hypocrites? Jesus is like, really? I wouldn't have guessed that, right? <laughs> He's obviously has something here. You're supposed to feel this tension, this overreaction. Because whenever there's an overreaction, whatever the issue is, is not actually the issue. So husbands, you come home from work and you come through the door and there's a dirty towel on the ground and your wife sees the dirty towel and she says, 
why do I have to clean this house up time and time again for you ice cream eating, dirty, filthy, slob, towel-leaving morons? Is that about the towel? Not at all, is it? There's another issue there. What you do in that circumstance is, husband, you pick up that towel and you just back away from her. (laughs) I got it, sweetie, right? There's something else happening. That's an overreaction. Overreactions always tell you there's something else underneath this. So here is what's underneath this. First of all, this is not Jesus's first interaction with this crew. In chapter two, he forgives the man of his sins and then heals him from his crippleness. And they accuse him of blasphemy, which is a capital offense. In that same chapter, his disciples are walking along and they grab some ears of wheat on the Sabbath day and they kind of crush them up and they begin to eat those ears of wheat. And that's work according to the traditions of the elders. And so they're like, why are your disciples breaking the Sabbath day? And then they keep going. He casts a demon out of a person and they accuse him of being demon possessed himself And that's how he had the power to cast out that demon, right? So we've seen a lot of those encounters. So by this point in Mark, this group of people, they're trying to figure out a way to kill Jesus. You might get an overreaction if someone's trying to kill you. You come to church, imagine that. And you know somebody wants to kill you and you see them in the bathroom and they go, why don't you use a paper towel with that? Is it about the paper towel then? No, there's bigger issues. So that's what's happening here. And then secondly, Jesus is real sensitive about this. It's hypocrites. Well did Isaiah say of you, you hypocrites. Jesus is real, real sensitive about people that are two-faced. I think we are too. If you saw someone here and they're up here raising their hands and saying, praise the Lord, and they're up here praying for people, and hey, they've got all the show on, but you know they're having an adulterous relationship on the side or embezzling funds from their company. How would that make you feel about them? Doesn't something kind of... That's what's happening here. So here's the core issue. And Jesus gives this great example. It's verses 9 through 13. Talking about how that they were dishonoring their mom and dad by the traditions of man. That actually by keeping the Mishnah, they were breaking God's word. So here's what it is. In the 10 commandments, the big 10. If you wanna know the most important commands in the Bible, Exodus 20, the 10 commandments. Commandment number four is this. Honor children, honor your mom and dad so it will go well with you in the land. Honor your mom and dad. Now, why is that in the big 10? I think number one, because it's hard. It's hard. And number two, God is saying this. You honor the mom, you honor the dad, you honor the people that gave up a lot for you. Gave up money, time, resources, life, all that, so that you could have those things. But today it's kind of popular. And I think sometimes counseling actually reinforces this, it's popular to like blame your mom and dad. Well, your mom didn't hug you enough. Your dad didn't say you were varsity enough. You're varsity, son. They didn't say that enough. So that's where all your problems stem from. I think that's ridiculous. 
I tell my kids this. I tell them all the time this. I have five kids. I tell them this. Each one of you has had a different dad. Does that make sense? I'm biologically their dad, but every single one of my kids has had a different dad. I'm growing. I'm developing, right? When I had my first kid, they should have never given me that child. I mean, that was it. Like, are you kidding? So she's like, you treat Myron so much different than you treated me. Duh. Don't you want me to develop and grow? Of course I do. I'm quick to apologize, quick to say sorry, quick to say I blew it. But I'm also growing and developing as well. And it's one thing that, it's one area that God says, listen, you can pick your spouse and you can pick your friends and you can pick your job and you can pick your house. You cannot pick your mom and dad. And if you can learn to honor them, wherever they are at, if you can learn to honor them, man, it's gonna go well with you in life, okay? If you struggle with this, please read Ezekiel 18 because it's this parable. And the parable was this. There was a proverb going around Israel and the proverb was this. Our fathers ate sour grapes, so our teeth are set on edge. Do you understand that? Because of the way our dads lived, it makes me clenched mouth and angry. You know what God says? I don't wanna hear that parable again in Israel. Don't blame your problems on your mom and dad. Don't do that. It does nothing good for you. Read it, meditate on it, think about that. Okay, so here's what it happened. You have this real simple command. Honor mom and dad, it'll go well with you. Doesn't say if they're good or bad, or, just honor them, the position that I put them in. Well, over 1,400 years, here's what had happened. There was this thing called korban. And it was a way that a man could say, hey, the stuff in my house, my furniture, my money, my fridge, my food, whatever, it's been dedicated to the Lord. It's korban, which meant this. He could use it. He could do whatever he wanted with it. But if somebody else wanted it, he had to say, or he got to say, oh, no, no, no. You can't have that because it's been dedicated to the Lord. So mom and dad come over. They're gonna lose the family farm. Mom's gonna be sold into indentured slavery. And so dad's like, hey, you've got 1,500 gold bars right here. Could we borrow one of these so we can get mom out of indentured servanthood? And the son could say, sorry, dad. All those 1,500 gold bars are koban. I can't give them to you. So it was a way, it was a loophole that you got out of helping people. And Jesus said, that is terrible. That is terrible. It's the antithesis of what I am about. Now, when you read the Bible, especially stories like this, it's not to point fingers at them. The Bible is always to be a mirror and we're always to be a group of people like the disciples that say, is it I first? Before I ever point the finger at anyone else, I have to say, am I a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite? I wonder sometimes. I have friends that they built these giant houses called McMansions, right? And when they're building them, they'll say this to me, oh, Matt, I'm building this because I wanna have Bible studies in my house and community groups in my house. I'm gonna have the high school group over to my house and it's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna have all these people and I built this extra house over here because I'm gonna invite missionaries when they come home, they're gonna stay in this extra house. And then guess what happens? Well, there's no Bible studies in there. There's no community groups in there. There's no missionaries staying in them. Hmm. Well, aren't we just like this then? 
I'm no better than it. I remember years ago, I bought my Volkswagen bus, bought it out of a field in Williams. And I knew it was gonna require a lot of money to fix it up because it had a stove coming out of the side of it, a stove pipe. Literally, they had a wood stove inside of this Volkswagen van. Just awesome. Southern Oregon ingenuity. Cold. Put a stove in this bad dog. That's not dangerous, is it? A tiny Volkswagen van with a wood stove in it. Can anything go wrong? No. Okay. So I knew it was going to cost money, but here was my justification. I said, this is going to be a conversation piece. It will open up conversations with people and I can share Jesus because I have a Volkswagen bus. <laughs> Guess what? The most conversations I've had with my Volkswagen bus have been about how to buy or sell marijuana. That's what it's actually opened. <laughs> Bro, you got any dope, man? 420, man. Right? We all do it. It's to point back at you and me. How about prayer? I think sometimes we use prayer exactly like they use korban, a way of not helping people. So someone you meet, someone you know, will be sharing with you about where their life is at, problems they're having, difficulties, spiritually, physically, financially, mentally, whatever it is. And you're listening to this story and you know, man, I could help this person. I've got treasure. I've got time. I've got the experience. I've got this, right? I could help them. And God is actually impressing on your heart to help them. And what do you do instead? What do I do instead? Hey, let me pray for you. Which is a way of saying like, God, I'm not doing this. This is your problem. You take care of it. Where God is saying, Matt, are you kidding me? I've given you all this treasure. I've given you all this experience. I'm pressing on your heart right now by my spirit to help them and using prayer as an excuse, just like they did, to help this person. We gotta first ask, is it I? Is it I? Am I the hypocrite? Because hypocrisy still exists, right? These Pharisees in the Bible, they still exist. So back in 2016, to finish up my degree, my last class was over in Israel at Jerusalem University. Super fun time. Wife came with me, had a just incredible learning time. It was brilliant. And when we were over there, we, you, you see the Orthodox Jews, and you, you can't miss them because they stand out. The men have the black on, the hats, the tassels. The women, they dress as modest as you can. They wear one dress that looks like the Amish, but then just to be safe, they have another dress underneath that dress. It's actually four inches longer and sticks down even longer, right? They are more modest than the Amish. They have all this. But then this guy came in. His name is Dan Sered. And he works for Jews for Jesus. Incredible man, just a brilliant dude. And he introduced us to this gal. And if you didn't know this, in Israel, prostitution is legal. So this gal works with prostitutes in Tel Aviv. And so she, it just, man, super, your heart just breaks when she's telling you these stories and what happens and how women are treated. Your heart is breaking. Like, how can we help? But what she said was unbelievable to me because the Orthodox Jews, they won't even look up. They just keep their head down. Like, no, 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 no. Outwardly, you're like, wow. But what she told us was the number one clientele for the prostitutes in Tel Aviv, Orthodox Jews. Now it looks modest, looks like, whoa. It's like Jesus said, they're whitewashed tombs. It's hypocrisy. And this is what gets Jesus. 
And this is what gets people today. I just had a conversation with a friend, unchurched, doesn't like church. I said, why, bro, what's your problem with church? He goes, churches are always asking for money. And number two, churches are full of hypocrites. To which I always say, that's true. And there's room for one more, bro, come join me. I mean, come on, really? You keep all your rules? No way. So we gotta be careful, this is a big issue. But what is the fundamental problem? Verse six and seven. This people honors me with their lips, hand washing, clothing, outward, but their heart is far from me. It's a heart problem, it's a heart condition. And too much of Christianity is focused on the outward. When scripture says, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. And I've seen this, it has broken my heart before. So many years ago, I was in India for my second time. And we are walking along this beautiful, like beach in Southern India, like unbelievable. And as we're walking along, there was this really cool looking piece of architecture. It was like a it looked like a Roman aqueduct came right off the rock shore and then out about 50 feet into this bay. And I was like, what in the world is that? And Billy Graham Palos, our guide was like, that's a Hindu God. I'm like, what? It is? Let's go check it out. So we walk out this rock kind of, uh, it was just a rock, rock walkway, five feet wide. At the end was a round hole that went all the way down into the water with about a two foot stone ledge. And so I sat down, I said, where's the God at? And Billy's like, you're sitting on him right now. I said, well, he is comfortable. I'm glad for that. So as we're out there, we're kind of talking and down comes this old fisherman. And he came down and he was walking down and he sees us. He's like, what in the world? What are all these white people doing? Why is that one guy sitting on my God? I must kill him, right? Like he's just puzzled. So he comes out, this conversation starts. We share Jesus with him. Turns out he is this fisherman that every day he has this piece of metal, it's about the size of a plate, has two slits in it and a piece of rubber inner tube that he uses as a paddle to paddle himself out. And the guy was about 65, 70. Paddle himself out a mile to this reef. He goes out on this reef, tries to catch two or three fish to bring back and sell for less than a dollar. Does that every single day. And so that day he was coming to make an offering to his God who I was sitting on to get a better catch that day. So we share Jesus with him and he believes. And every once in a while you get, I just call them transfigurations. Somebody comes in and this dude was down when he came. Man, he prayed and it was like the spirit began to just glow through this man. His countenance changed, he shined. It was unbelievable, right? Just amazing, he's smiling, he's happy. And then this guy, this other guy who was from India, reached in this man, he had a little pocket right up, reached in and grabbed out this little thing he had, little pouch he had in his pocket. He pulled it out and he begins to go through. I couldn't understand what they were saying because it was in Tamil, but he pulled out one hand-rolled cigarette. And I, in my head, I'm just thinking, oh, that man must go out, work his tail off, be in the blistering sun all day, catch a couple fish, swim all the way back. And I bet the highlight of his day is coming back, sitting down and smoking his one cigarette. 
And so this guy saw the cigarette, took it, crumbled it up, and threw it into the water. And this man who was glowing started groaning, just went, oh. And my heart broke. Because in that moment, that man was equating Christianity, not with Jesus, not with grace, with not smoking cigarettes. And so I had the opportunity in India to try to straighten out some of this theology. So we did this pastor's conference for 500 pastors. And I was teaching Romans 14. If you don't know Romans 14, read it. It's brilliant. It's, hey, Christianity is not about the food you eat or whether or not you worship on a certain day or what kind of clothing you wear. It's not about those things. It's a brilliant, brilliant chapter. So I decided, ha-ha, opportunity. And so while I'm teaching these guys, Romans 14, I started asking them questions. And this is the first question I asked. I said, does the Bible prohibit someone from having a glass of wine with their pasta? 500 pastors, yes. I said, give me a Bible verse. They gave me Isaiah 5.11. I said, Isaiah 5.11 is a prohibition against getting drunk, not about having a glass of wine. And they said, well, well, The word for wine is actually the word for non-alcoholic grape juice. I said, really? I said, because that same word is used in Proverbs 23 for a man who drank non-alcoholic grape juice and was staggering like a sailor and had a bunch of black eyes in the morning from drinking grape juice. That's some great grape juice. I said, okay. They started getting mad at me, especially when I said, what about 1 Timothy 5.23, where Paul tells Timothy, take a little bit of wine for your stomach. So I said, okay, forget that one. How about smoking? Is there a prohibition in scripture against smoking cigarettes? Yes, there is. I said, give me a Bible verse. 1 Corinthians chapter six. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, listen, just a side note. That is about what God has done to you not what you're supposed to do, that you have become. He has made you the dwelling place of his spirit. It's a radical, incredible text, but it has nothing to do with smoking. So I said, okay, fine. If you're going to say that, that you can't smoke because you're taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit, I said, then you better expand it. You better not eat any fat. You better not eat any sugar. You better not eat any ice cream. You better not be sedentary. You better get your, get your CrossFit on seven days a week. You better take care of that temple. Well, I'll tell you what, I started feeling like Jesus because they wanted to kill me. <laughs> Traditions. We've got them, right? Now, there are tons of cautions in the Bible about alcohol, no doubt about it. Tons of them. Be careful, it's fire, it'll burn you. But we are never to take the cautions of Scripture and turn them into stop signs. Because once you've made that move, you now have become a legalist. And it's dangerous. So I've got friends that are on the mission field. And to be on the mission field with certain organizations, you have to sign a code of conduct. And part of that code of conduct, some of them will be, you may drink no alcohol. And I know people personally that have gone in areas where the water is super bad. And the safest thing in the world to drink is the beer, but they won't drink the beer because they signed a code of conduct and their conscience hurts them. So they drink the water and they get sick from it. That's why you gotta be careful. Yeah, look out. Yeah, there's danger with alcohol, 100%. 
but it's still a personal choice. Still between you and God, still make your decision, still seek him. So this was the problem here. They had taken the caution signs and they put stop signs all over them, crushing up people's cigarettes, whatever. Well, salvation, listen to me, salvation is not a list of stuff you and I do. Salvation is a savior that we serve. That's what it's about. That we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. Not of works, I should say, lest any man should boast. There's no washing of hands or quitting or starting anything that saves us. Jesus saves us, period. Now, salvation will lead to change, but it's not outward behavioral modification. It's inward spiritual regeneration that moves from the inside out, okay? So when Jesus says this, he's not saying something new. In Amos 5, the prophet says the same thing. It says, God hates it when you go to church, hates it when you sing songs, hates when you make these sacrifices. Why? Because you're acting like I don't know what you did on Saturday or what you're planning on doing on Sunday or Monday. You're treating me like a fool. And the Bible is real simple. God is much more concerned with what Matt Heverly is becoming inside, where my heart is going, than he is something I accomplish on the outside. He's much more concerned with my character than how many accolades I get. That's inside work. Because he knows this. Matt, if I change your inside to be brilliant and righteous, sooner or later, your outward actions will become brilliant and righteous. And you'll no longer be the hypocrite, whitewashed sepulcher. And the problem with religion is this. It's what the Mishnah is. If the solution to your problems is religion, then every time you have a problem, what do you need more of? Religion. And it becomes a Mishnah. It becomes a Talmud. It becomes more and more and weightier and weightier, and it finally it crushes you. So we come to scripture as a mirror. God, where's my heart at? Am I all about outward stuff, religion? Or am I really a person that's been captured by your grace and now it's actually moving from the inside out and transforming me? What am I? Well, I have a little test that maybe will help us. Just questions. Religion versus grace. I'm gonna read them, they'll show up there. The last slide is actually all of them combined. So religion, if we obey God, should have a he in there, he will love us. Grace, because God loves us through Jesus, we can't obey. Religion, people are divided into the good or the bad. They washed their hands, they didn't wash their hands. Grace, all people are broke and hurt and need Jesus. Religion, we trust in what we do as a good moral person. Grace, we trust in the perfect sinless life of Jesus. Religion, the goal is to get the goods from God. Health, money, insight, power, control, and we do it by whatever our washing our hands are. Whatever we think our list is, we do that to actually get something from God. We whack the God pinata, so he'll release the goods to us. 
For grace, the goal is Jesus. Religion sees difficulty in life as punishment from God. Grace sees difficulty in life as the means by which God makes me more like Jesus. Religion leads to uncertainty. Did we do enough? Grace is secure in the finished work of the cross. Religion results in pride or despair. Pride, I'm pulling it off today. Despair, ah, I'm such a bonehead. Grace results in a humble, confident joy due to the power of Jesus at work for, in, and through me. Religion, when you come to a place like this, says, whose clothes are appropriate? I need to get out my tape measure and measure your skirt. Grace says, who can I bless today? It's inward versus outer. And it becomes a massive difference in your disposition. That's why Jesus seems to overreact here because it really, really matters. If you read something like this or take this test and you think, man, my heart is cold. A lot of what I do is outward. A lot of what I do is checklist. A lot of what I do is religion. I think my heart is far from him. What do we do? Two simple things. Number one, you identify it. The Bible's a mirror. You look in it, it shows my dirt. You identify it, that's number one. And here's the good news. Your heart does not surprise God, you know that? Hebrews 4.13, everything is naked and open before him whom we have to deal. You don't surprise God. I don't surprise God. If we think we're hiding stuff from God and he doesn't know, it's like playing hide and go seek with a two-year-old. You ever done that? Elijah, my son, was the best to play hide and go seek with when he was two. Like when it was my turn to hide, he would go up and look in his sock drawer for me. I was like, bro, I know I'm skinny, but come on. Maybe if your socks were gone, I could fit in there, but gee whiz. And then when it was his turn, he'd go in the living room and he'd just throw a blanket over himself. And he'd be giggling like, mom, don't tell dad where I'm at. This is such a good spot. And somebody just humor him and go outside, like change the oil in the car and come back in and then find him. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, I was dominating. That's like us, like you're not hiding from God, right? And here's the best part. The one that knows you the best loves you the most. It's Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, when you were your worst, Christ died for you. God is not surprised by our cold hearts. God's not surprised by our laziness or our character deficiencies. He's not surprised by what you did last night. So come clean, identify it. That's number one. That's what Jesus is trying to get at with these guys. Be honest, look what you're doing with the commands of God. And then number two, you confess it. Confession is the course to change. If we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. We confess it. We are in confession, giving God permission to change us. God, your word's been a mirror to me. It's identified this in me. Change me. Because the big story of the Bible, you want the big story, Genesis 3 to Revelation chapter 20, all but four chapters, that main section of the Bible, here's what it is. 
In Genesis 3, a snake latched onto the human heart and has been poisoning our hearts from that day on. And God has, from Genesis 3, had this mission, and the mission is real simple, to get the hell out of earth. And it begins with me. Gotta get the hell out of me first. Because James 3, when you read that, says this, hell's fire are actually ignited by the words of my mouth coming out of my broken heart. So it begins with, Jesus, get the hell out of my heart first. Get the hell out of my heart. And this has always been God's mission. Like sometimes we wanna divide the Bible into all these different segments. God's always wanted to clean the human heart. I'll prove it to you. In the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse six. And Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. It's always been a heart problem. The psalmist would say in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 139, search my heart. See if there be any wicked thing in me and lead me on the path everlasting. Over and over. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. God will take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and put his spirit within us so that we can walk in his ways. This is the gospel. Not behavioral modification from the outside, not a bunch of traditions that we keep keeping, inward, spiritual regeneration, new heart circumcised, broke up, becoming soft to him. And when that happens, you naturally change. Not force, not guilt, you naturally, you want to serve him. You wanna go down in the kid's wing and help the two-year-olds. You want two-year-old puke on you, bucket list done, because you desire something. And it's not forced on you anymore. It's actually what you most want. It gets accomplished in your life. This is the power. That's why every Sunday we come to the table, we're coming to the power source. We are empty and we need help. This last week, I blew it and I need help. That's why we do this. It's not one and done. It's a lifestyle of humility coming before the only one that can heal us and help us. So grab the elements and we'll take them together. Father, we hold in our hands the elixir of eternity. That in this moment, the veil between heaven and earth, it can grow thin and we can receive help from your throne of grace. And that's what we need. We want you to get the hell out of each one of us first. 
And so we come offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Take us, change us, conform us. May we decrease so that you would increase. Let's eat together. And we hold the cup. The cup says that says to us, you are forgiven and you can be cleansed. I pray that you would cleanse me today of my cold heart. I pray that you would cleanse me today of my quickness to pray for people. But my failure to be engaged and to be your hands and to be your feet for people. I pray that you'd cleanse me of the hypocrite inside of me that wants to make an outward show, but inside I'm full of dead men's bones. I pray as we drink today that the bones would come alive, that they would live. Let's drink of his cleansing. Amen. So you know how we conclude? It's a tradition. That's all it is. We sing a song. Hopefully you've heard from Jesus. And in singing, we're, we're finishing it. We're praising. When there's a great play on the football field, you have to celebrate. That's what we're doing. Jesus made a great play for us. The best play in history. We celebrate with the song. After that song, if you're doing great, and be thankful. If you have something you need to pray about, up here we'll have people that would love to pray for you. Nothing too big, nothing too small. We bear your burden that way by praying for you. Change often happens with a laying on of hands. Something happens where two or more are gathered in that moment. So get prayer. And we offer baptism. We think baptism is important. We think the great commission that Jesus gave us at the end of Matthew, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The, the king has come. Sin and death has been eliminated. By grace, you're saved. You preach the gospel. Teaching, making disciples, and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We think that's really important. So if you want to be baptized today, we offer that. Come be baptized. If you don't know, if you're a Christian, man, there'll be somebody over here. I'd love to share with you what it means to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not of works. And if you receive Jesus, hey, you can be baptized. We receive Jesus as Savior. We get baptized in obedience to him as King, his first command to us. So do that. We'd love to author with you the brilliant story that Jesus is writing of your life. We'd like to be that chapter with you. Would you stand for one final song?